I saw how you sang the words with thoughtfulness. The question that was on my heart this morning is this. When you pause and think about your life, when you pause and think about where you are, who in here would say, I need a deliverance? I need a healing in my life. I need a situation to change. Might be for me, might be for a situation that I've been invited into to be a face in their story, but I'm involved in something that needs a turnaround. I'm involved in something that needs a healing. The touch of Jesus, not Tylenol or vitamin C, but clearly the touch of Jesus. Do you find yourself in a place, if you pause and you're reflective and you're honest and you recognize, Lord, if you don't come through here, it's going to be some long, hard moments. There is a window of sacrifice. There is a window of suffering and trying of our faith that makes perfect our faith. And then there is a moment when it is the enemy of our soul. There is a moment when God authors something for you and you go through it. And then there is a moment where Satan is the author of those moments, trying to manipulate, trying to take out your knees and flip you around and cloud your face. There's that moment as well. My question would be, are you ready for deliverance from that moment? I'm not just talking about addiction. I was talking about drugs, thought, process, trial, temptation, that naggy thing. God gives us grace, that's true. In fact, he said when Paul prayed that he be delivered from a thorn in his flesh, whatever that was, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I get that. And then there is another window. There is a time when Satan is the one messing around with you. Satan is the one hiding behind the car and shooting, and then running behind the house and shooting, and then hiding behind a bush and shooting. He's the one. We want to put a stop to that today. We want to put a stop to it. I want to take you to Isaiah 35, and I want to read verse 4. Five and six. I appreciate what has happened so far over the last several weeks. It's been a month since I've preached on a Sunday. Kelsey did a great job. Arnick did a great job. Deli did a great job. In the next several weeks, Brian is going to preach. Bo is going to speak to us. And we have Freedom Weekend. But this is a God-ordained moment, this series. Sometimes you just pick one and it's good, and then sometimes it's different. Sometimes there's something that's deeper water. Isaiah 35, verse 4, it says, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, he will come with vengeance, 
with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and the title of our series and streams in the desert. Haley Smith was a staff writer for the LA Times. She reported this and I quote, on August 20, Tropical Storm Hillary tore through Death Valley National Park near the border of Nevada, dropping more than a year's worth of rain, 2.2 inches in one day. And I quote, she says, forever transforming one of the hottest and driest places on earth. Forever transforming one of the hottest and driest places on earth. Now, I already knew that could happen. I already knew that a flood of water can forever transform something. I didn't know about Death Valley in August of 2023, but I did know about Andy Smith in October of 1990. I didn't know about Tropical Storm Hillary, but I have experienced Tropical Storm Jesus. And it was 1990, 33 years ago last Sunday. 33 years ago last Sunday that the Lord exploded into my life. Ms. Smith reports this stretch of roadway, 1,500 feet long. A stretch of roadway, 1,500 feet long, from a two-inch rain was washed away, just wiped out. A 40-foot wide culvert, 40 feet wide, gone. Multiple swaths of pavement, some, some a football field, 300 feet in length, were simply no more. And as I read about the interactions of the flooding and the, and the water and the cosmology of the whole thing and Death Valley and all of that, one writer described it this way. Listen, the flooding waters destroy everything that is man-made. The natural things, and I'll call them the God things, flourish. The rushing water destroyed everything that was man-made. But the things that were God-made, they flourish. You see, October 22nd, 1990, it was a Monday morning. I'm pretty sure I didn't make church on Sunday. Because that was the season of my life where I wasn't around the pastor and I wasn't around the church. I was a senior at the Naval Academy. I was angry. I was full of shame. I was running from God. Couldn't give two rips about the whole deal. In the moment, I probably knew as much Bible as anybody in this room, and I just blew it all away. Didn't give, didn't give a rip about it. And it's a Monday, and I go in to see my sponsor, who happened to be the pastor of the church. And he'd graduated in 1968. He graduated, you know, 20-some years earlier. So I went by to see him, and wouldn't you know it, there was a traveling evangelist in town. His name was Robert Mitchell. Now, Robert Mitchell had a son named Robbie Mitchell. And Robbie and I were buddies. Melinda and Robbie and I were buddies. We went to college together. I went to a seminary with Robbie. So we were hanging out with him. I knew him. In fact, four years prior, remember I was a senior, four years prior on my I-Day, in-doc day, if you've ever done military, you know that. 
That's when you have a lot of hair at the start of the day, and at the end of the day, you don't. So that day, his boy and he and the pastor, those guys, drove me to the Naval Academy to drop me off for eye day. At that time, I had a relationship with the church, not God. And that relationship with the church, not God, didn't last. It lasted maybe one year in the heat and the tension of all that. So for sophomore, junior, senior year, I basically flipped heaven off. I don't need any part of this. And intentionally walked away. Full well and knowing walked away. But you see, the flood water takes away all things man-made and causes God things to flourish. So that Monday morning, I go into the office, not dissimilar to how we have our offices set up here, long hallway, foyer, office space, walked in, and it was a kind of a general common area. And the pastor was sitting out there, probably closer than you and I, Lisa, and I just sat down, and he sat down, and there's people buzzing along. I'd been there for years. I knew everybody. I'm like, hey, Sean, what's up? Hey, Mike. Good morning. Hey, Andy, what's happening? How you guys doing? Sitting there talking to him. I didn't realize that the evangelist, I would call him Brother Mitchell. I didn't realize Brother Mitchell was in, in the house. This old boy had a walk with God that was tangible. Now, I knew him, as I told you already. I knew his son, and we were friends. And then I see him. I'm like, hey, Brother Mitchell, how you doing? Well, hello, Andy. At the time, he was probably, felt ancient to me. He was probably 50. <laughs> and I greeted him, and I sat down. I don't even remember what I was talking to the pastor about. I don't even remember. And I'm talking to him, and all of a sudden, Brother Mitchell comes up behind me. Now, this is about noon, and there's plenty of activity happening in the church. Like, this is an office. This church has a 1,000 people. It's busy. They've got a big staff. Brother Mitchell walks up behind me, puts his hand on the back of my head, and starts shaking it, speaking in tongues over me. And he wasn't playing. He wasn't quiet. He didn't care where we were or what was going on. Something triggered in him. He put his hand on the back of my head and just started shaking it. Now, I'm sitting in that chair, and I'm looking across at the pastor. And when he put his hand on my head, I reared up. I was like, Rrr. my eyes narrowed, and I was angry, like, reared up, crossed my chest and flexed my arms as he's praying over me. <laughs> and then a tear, a tear came down my face. Because the flood of the water erases everything man made and brings life to that which is God-given. There is a tear coming down my face. And the pastor, he's bigger than I am, tall, muscly, big man, came out of his chair onto his knees, walked over to me, put his hand on my chest, 
I got one old boy with his hand on my head. I got some guy with his hand on my chest and they are shaking my teeth out of my head. And in that moment, those two men, my Pentecostal background would call it this. They prayed me through. They prayed me into a moment of deliverance that was powerful, happening at about 11.30 on a Monday morning in the common area of a church because that's what happens when the flood comes into the dry land. I didn't go there wanting it. I didn't go there hoping for it, not that I knew. In fact, when he touched me, I was like, but you understand that there's something inside in spirit that gives way? You can't hide that. It won't let you hide it. Spirit won't let you hide it. When the presence and power of God shows up in a moment like we have right now, that's that openness and that's that brokenness and that's that yes. I don't think you can stop. It's there. It's there, the spontaneous response of things God-given. Cuss like a sailor? Man, I was good at it. I could hang out with you and drink just about as much as you wanted to drink. But that wasn't who God created me to be. I was a bouncer in a bar during those days. I got in a fight with seven guys. But that's not who God created me to be. I had bravado. I'd look at full officers, lieutenants, lieutenant commanders, and just tell them how stupid they were and dare them to say something to me because I wasn't wrong. But that's not who God created me to be. God created me to be a minister, to be a shepherd be a servant, to be a mentor, to be a lover of men and women, to be a person that is a conduit of flow. That's who he created me to be. So all the stuff that had been built up over those years of hardness, in that moment, the flood came. And all man-made things were washed away. And the things God created began to flourish. That is the day that the Lord Jesus invaded my life. Years later, I was talking to a mentor. He lived in Columbus, Ohio, dear, a dear, dear man. In fact, maybe the best friend of my pastor. And so I was with him years later. His name was Bill Sisko. He was a sheriff forever and then had a big God conversion himself. He was old school county sheriff stuff, that, like, you know, Buford, Busser, and Stick and stuff, that kind of guy. And a womanizer, mercy's sakes. And God changed his life, changed it. And that man was mentoring me because that's what he was meant to do. And he sat with me one day, he said, I was at his house in Columbus. He said, Andy, sit down here and watch this. He played a video for me, a Gaither vocal band, video. Now, some of y'all think that's where Jesus moves, and some of y'all are like, Jesus is not there. <laughs> it was a Gaither vocal band video, which I love the Gaithers. I learned to sing on Southern gospel music, so I love all that, and I knew the songs. I knew them all, but he sets me down. And he goes, watch this. 
He didn't tell me anything. He just said, sit down and watch. And I watched this group perform. And they were singing. And there was a piano in the middle. If you've ever seen a Gaither thing, there's people all around it, you know, and a piano in the middle, and they're jamming. And, I mean, it was like hallelujah hoedown, man. They were like, no, no, no. And everybody's like, oh, and this whole thing. And they're like high-fiving Jesus and the whole deal, right? Did you hear my voice change while I said that right there? Gee. Yeah, the whole deal. It was upbeat, happy. When that song was done, man, people were slapping each other's backs and laughing. And I look over, and he didn't have anything to say. He said, keep watching. The next guy came up, super folky looking, you know, guitar, flannel shirt thing, hiking boots, that deal, and just started playing a guitar. Nobody else, no piano, no accompaniment, no tracks, just playing a guitar. And I'm listening, and it's a story, literally. The verse is like, I was a little kid, and I stole a cookie, and I feel bad, and mama, and something about his dad, and God the Father, and that whole thing, right? People are sitting there. All the clapping stopped. But you can see people just somber and thoughtful and even teary as he sang. And when he sang, there was a little bit of a clap, but not the same. I looked over after song two, and he said, hang in there, got another one. So I watched song three, and in song three they had risers and people again all around and the music, and, and this man stood up, and I knew this, I knew this guy. I, I knew the man that was singing. He, he stood up, he was in a suit, had a tie on, sang to a track, sang to a, sang to a soundtrack, there weren't any musicians, nobody was playing with him, no, one, no live singers. He just stood, and a soundtrack started, and he started singing. On a balcony of space stepped a pure and holy God, and in awesome solitude he stood alone. Not one faint star to give him light, just endless rolling blackest night. But somehow, through all the darkness, he could see. He saw mountains high and lofty. He saw valleys lush and green, babbling brooks and wildflowers grow, and he even heard a robin sing. Then he felt a strange compassion, as close to love as pain can be. Standing out there in his tomorrow, he saw me. And then he had this deep, rich, baritone voice. And the chorus, it was one verse in chorus. That was the whole song. The chorus was, he saw me in his likeness. He saw me just like him. Pure, clean, holy, spotless, white within. But he saw me bound in heavy chains, and he longed to set me free. And he knew if I became like him, he must become like me. And then, not him even singing, it was a soundtrack. It was recorded music. And the choir behind him immediately began to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And I'm telling you what, every single person in those seats went up out of their seats and their hands were in there. It was unbelievable. Everybody, hands up and up. They were worshiping to a soundtrack. But they were worshiping because something hit them deep. So I look over at Brother Cisco. I'm like, what's the story, man? 
He said, well, Andy, we're body, soul, and spirit. And he said, and that's your lesson for today. That first song moved your body. We're feeling good. We're high-fiving. We're slapping. That's fine. The second one moved your soul. It moved your emotions. The little boy and mama, the folk guitar. He said, but that third one, it moved your spirit. And when your spirit gets moved, there's no stopping it. You couldn't sit down if you wanted to. When the presence of the Lord moves through and touches our spirit, we are on our feet. Our hands are up. Streams in the desert. Your life can feel very dry, can feel very dark, but there is a flow of water, a flow from the Holy Spirit. I want us to look up a verse that's in Isaiah 59, verse 19. In the NIV, it says this, from the west... People will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory, for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. Leave that up there for just a second, please. Isaiah 59, 19, he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. When we talk about streams in the desert, we're talking about this flood this metaphoric flood of water, flood of spirit that's moving in us. Did you recognize that verse? How many people recognize that? How many people have memorized that verse? That's kind of what I thought. I bet you have. I bet you actually have, I bet you have memorized this verse. But you memorized it with the emphasis on a different thing. Can you throw it up in the King James so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. That's not what the NIV read. You need to pay attention to the comma. King James, the one I memorized as a kid, says when the enemy comes in like a flood. When the enemy is the flood. When the enemy is the force, when the enemy is the power, the enemy comes in like a flood. I'm just going to hunker down and take it. The Lord will lift up a standard. The waves crashing against protection of the Lord. That's not what we read in the NIV. That's why you didn't recognize that you knew that verse. Because it reads completely differently. And it's not just the NIV. The, Amer the New American Standard Bible. They'll fear the name of the Lord from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun. For he, that's a capital H. That's not Satan. He will come like a, oh, I don't know, a stream in the desert. He'll come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. Metaphor of spirit is water. Out of your belly flows rivers of living. Metaphor for the spirit is, is wind, pneuma, the breath. It is a spiritual thing that we were talking about. It is a spiritual thing that I want you to have faith for and acceptance of and openness to. It 
Peggy, you sent me something this week out of the Amplified. You sent me a verse out of the Amplified Bible. Let's look at the Amplified. They'll fear the name of the Lord from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come in like that narrow rushing stream, which the breath of the Lord drives. Fear the name of the Lord. Overwhelming the enemy. Move the focus of that comma, it changes everything. And this isn't a random text pull. This is three translations that say, actually, the flood is coming from the Lord. Flood's not coming from Satan. And I've been, I've been uh, in that position. I've experienced that before. When I was on a uh, guided missile destroyer in the Navy, we were in the Med, we were in the Atlantic, and the, the, the bridge was 50 feet above the water. 50 feet above the water. Now, we were in the trough of a wave, so we were down a bit, but I remember standing there and just waiting to get pummeled. <laughs> just waiting for the wave to just boom, hammer us. And you know, it's not just one and done, right? We're out there for hours, just bam, bam, bam. And I was on the bridge, and all the windows, there were windows all across, probably 20 little windows across that you look out of, and they just go black and then foamy, and then dissipate, and then here it came again. Boom! I've sat in that place where you're just hunkered in. I wasn't fearing for my life in there, but I did see the damage when it all passed. Inch-thick steel, gone. Safety railings, gone. Just, they were there, and now they're not there, kind of like the man-made things in Death Valley. When the Spirit rolls in, those man-made things that were there, that were supporting us, holding us, they're gone. They're gone. How does it read differently if we say when the enemy comes in? Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. It is a flood from the Spirit. And we know that story also, don't we? It's in Exodus. In Exodus 14, there is a story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And as they sojourn through the land, in Exodus 14, it might be verse 6, it says, Pharaoh looked out there and saw, this is exactly what it says, saw that they were hemmed in by the desert. But he promises streams in the desert. Has anybody experienced that? Streams in the desert. Pharaoh looked and said, they are hemmed in by the desert. We can get them. And so Pharaoh brings his expression of a flood. It says every charioteer, every one of Pharaoh's horsemen came. In some ways, it might even seem like almost his entire army was out there. And they were chasing, and they were chasing. What Moses did is open his hands and a wind blew. Anybody want that wind? <laughs> I do. That wind to blow. And it parted the water, and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And as they go across, and they're on that other side, that other shore, they look back. And here's the story that we know. The Egyptians came in. 
The Egyptians came in with their flood. All right, why don't you come on up? The Egyptian army came in. So overwhelming, so intimidating. The Israelites actually looked back and said, did you just bring us out here to die out here? And then Moses raised his hand. When Moses raised his hand, the Lord's flood showed up. And when the Lord's flood showed up, just like they talked about that culvert, just like they talked about those hundreds of yards of highway, just like they talked about all those man-made things, once the Lord showed up, his water showed up, what was there is a no more. If you need a deliverance today, if you need a provision today, if you need a healing today, you're in the right place because the Lord is in this place. You're in the right place because the Lord is sending you a message today. The Lord could be with you any number of places. Of course he could. But you're here and he's here. And the intersection today is a message. A message of hope and deliverance and healing. What's that thing that you need to raise your hands over? <laughs> Let me tell you what I've learned as a human. Let me tell you what I've learned as a friend and as a pastor. A lot of times, we carry that stuff a whole lot longer than we have to. A lot of times, we, I don't think we're proud. I don't think we're trying to be egotistical or arrogant or proud. I think we're just like, well, I'll gut it out for you, Lord. We'll, we'll suck it up and gut it out for you. You know what the Lord did in his ministry, right? He went around, he healed everybody. Thwarted the works of the devil. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about those places where the devil is working in your life and you've held it and you hold it. And you know what? I'm not gonna be able to convince you of this. In fact, my prayer was to simply be a voice that communicates the idea and somehow there is a connection between you and the Spirit of the Lord. And that in that connection, there is a faith that sparks and you're able to raise your hands. You see, Moses was standing on that side and he saw that and the people are murmuring, complaining and hollering and, and he's like, just stand still. And see what the Lord does. And then Moses was prompted. The Lord says, raise your hand. Would you stand with me? We're not singing this song for backslapping. We're not singing this song for emotion. We're singing this song for a connection of spirit 
for the Lord's Spirit to do a work that we need. We're going to sing, we raise a hallelujah. We raise our hands, as Moses did, over a situation. My weapon is what? A melody. My weapon is a song. I raise my hands and sing over the situation. Sing over the struggle. Sing over the despair. Sing over the depression. Sing over the thing that needs deliverance. There are people in this room that need healing, and I know that. You let me in your story. You need healing in your heart. You need healing in your body. You need healing in your mind. This is where you're supposed to be right now. When we sing this, that thing that you figured out how to handle most of the time doesn't have to be a thing at all. Moses could have turned tail and took off and they'd have chased him down. But he stood there and he raised his hands and the stream hit the desert and it washed it all away. Scripture says, never to be heard of again. The Pharaoh and all of his power and everything that he embodies, <laughs> just like that, never, never to be heard of again. And I know there's some folks in here that you have tried and fallen and tried again and fallen and tried and fallen. And I'm not just talking about drinking. Situations, life, depression, hurt, attitude, feelings, relationships, up and down and up and down and up and down. You feel like you could raise your hands? <laughs> raise your hands over it. Just raise your hands over it. Your weapon is your song. Your weapon is a melody.